With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Want to go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in to episode 25 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Very special guest today, a veteran of over 800 NHL games, former Brandon Wheat King, Mr. Jeff Rogers. And uh, you look at that fight card, and it's the who's who, and uh, and we we cover it all. We uh, we start with the from from uh, the farm in Spy Hill to Atlanta Thrashers and San Jose Sharks, and uh, and everything in between. So no, it was a lot of fun. And uh, way back when, it, but the second guest I ever had on my show was Dakota Rogers. So actually, maybe that'll be my vault episode for this Sunday. We'll have a Rogers week here. Uh, the fourth line voice, but uh, no, Jeff and Dakota were great guests, and uh, I had a lot of fun talking to them, and just quality, quality human beings right there, and uh, and nothing but time, and uh, and Jeff was really gracious with it, and sat down for about an hour and a half, and I mean, I I always said, like I said at the end of the interview, I think it's like I could talk to him for ten hours if he'd let me, right? I you know such a fanboy and everything else, but uh, no, it was it was lots of fun, and. Uh, and if this is your first time tuning in, like I said at the start, is episode 25, so I encourage you to go back to the other 24 episodes. I mean, I've interviewed uh, John Morasti, Joey Tedarenko, Clark Wilm, Kent Staniforth, Roman Volpat, um, you know, like I said, Josh Mazur, and, um, you know, and uh, I, and uh, hopefully you will, uh, you'll, you'll check those out, and, uh, you know, um, because, like I said, there's, there, I know there's lots of hockey podcasts out there. I mean, it's almost become cliche nowadays. But, uh, you know, but so thank you if you're listening for the first time for taking the time out to, uh, to, to listen to my show. I know there's, uh, you know, there's only so much time in the day, right? And there's so much, uh, you know, spit and chiglets and everyone else. I mean, there's so many, like I said, there's so many shows out there. You know, we're all fighting for airtime. So, uh, you know, I always say support local, your mom and pop shops. You know, we're all fighting for airtime. So, uh, you know, thank you very much for uh, for tuning in, and uh, you know, and hopefully you enjoy it. And you'll come back um, here on the Hockey Podcast Network uh, is my sponsor, and uh, every Wednesday is uh, new content, and then on Sunday um, we we call it the Vault episode. And uh, from my old website, I had a website with forty five episodes on it, and it crashed, and blah blah blah. That whole story's been told, um, but I wanted to make sure I got all my old player interviews back up online. 
um, you know, I, I felt important for those guys for their stories to be out there. So every Sunday, we, you know, I put up an old uh, one of my old player interviews. So uh, yeah, so Wednesday's new content, Sunday's the vault, and uh, other than that, if you're on uh, YouTube. Check out my YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. I have over 2,000 fight videos on there from junior to pro. I got them all sorted, so just in the little search engine, whatever league you're looking for, AHL, West Coast, IHL, WHL, whatever. In fact, I have some Jeff Rogers, Brandon Wheat Kings fights on there. Actually, a really good fight with him and Jim McKenzie uh, at the Keystone Center in Brandon back in like 1987. So, uh, you know, and Tony Twist with the Blades and uh, Kelly Chase with the Blades and Colt Norris with current, you know, lots of cool uh, old Western uh, Hockey League stuff up there. Um, other than that, like I said, with the Hockey Podcast Network, there's 30-some shows that the network runs, and I mean, all the NHL teams are covered, and of course, with the season starting back up here sh- soon, they'll all those guys will be back in full swing, and uh, of course, you have Terry Ryan, you know, TR, he's always good for some stories, uh, you know, and then uh, I would say the non-network shows, you know, my boy Alec over at the Five for Fighting, he's doing some great stuff. He's just about ready to release a Chris McAllister interview. Um, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles, uh, got a Brian, two-part Brian Curran. Um, he he uh, interviews uh, former Islander enforcers and, uh, and does a great job. So, you know, like I said, those are... Uh, you know, kind of our, our little fight community podcasts, and uh, uh, definitely an old school flavor. And uh, you're, you're not you're not going to hear a lot of power play talk. We'll put it that way. But uh, you know, but uh, other than that, I'm not going to talk too long because you tuned in to hear Jeff Rogers, not me. So the only thing I have to do is I kind of got to throw this uh, this ad read at you before you hit fast forward. Like I always say, I I try to one of the sponsors for the for the network, of course. Um, I was really happy because it actually sort of really fits into my listener. I think my, well, I know some of my listeners have already done it and they really dig it. I know they're big Jersey guys. And uh, like I said, I was at the mall at Jersey City and custom knit Jersey, Crosby, you know, Eichel and Price or whatever. $300 they wanted for these things. You know, so, but with that, with our sponsorship, it's with coolhockey.com. They've been around since 1999. They're NHLPA endorsed. Um, I've asked around for my Jersey friends. They've all ordered from them. They say they're legit, never a problem. And, uh, you know, I don't want to con anybody or anything. You know, I wanted to make sure this is a legit sponsor and uh, all things check out, all positive reviews. Uh, Go to their website. Whatever jersey you're looking for, whatever team, third jersey, all that stuff, they got it. Hand knit. You can pick, customize it, whatever player you want, whatever name you want. Like I always say, you want to put God of Thunder 69 on uh, the third jersey of the Philadelphia Flyers and knock yourself out. And that's all knitted, fight strap. It's the exact jersey the dudes are wearing on the ice. $180 shipping and free shipping. How can you beat that? And uh, and it's out of Toronto. And uh, so for my Canadian listeners, 180 bucks Canadian, free shipping. What more can one man do for you? And when you're checking out, you have to use the promo code TH. THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network. THPN, like I said, 30% off and free shipping. Can't beat it with a stick. And uh, like I said, you can get put whoever you want on there. But uh, there we go. There's my. It's not an ad read. It's an ad suggestion. But I really hope you know. Like I said, I'm not getting any money from this deal. It all it all goes to the network. And uh, but Isha and Dylan, and those guys are doing a great job. Like I said, they got to babysit 30, 30 of us idiots all putting out podcasts. So uh, you know, I, it's easy for me. I just hit record and, and hit stop and send it to them, and they do the rest. So. Um, you know, so if it can help them out with some expenses, 
hey, why not? And you get the jer- you're getting the jersey anyway. So there you go. You get a jersey at a good price. You're helping out the network who's bringing you this content. Everyone wins. So there we go. And uh, but with that, like I said, we'll get on to uh, my interview with Jeff Audgers. And uh, thank you guys very much for tuning in. And uh, enjoy. And I will talk to you on Sunday. All right, guys. Thank you. All right, here on the fourth line voice, uh, four-year a veteran of the Western Hockey League with the Brandon Weed Kings, and then went on to play 800 NHL hockey games. On the line is none other than legendary enforcer Jeff Rogers. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are things with you? Excellent. Like I was saying before we got going, uh, you know, I, I had the kid on, so I, ha- I had to get Dad on, you know. That, that kid of yours is kind of a diva, though, I'll tell you that. Well, the kid can talk. He always could. By the time he was four years old, I don't, or even younger, he, he never shut up. So uh, <laughs> uh, doing an interview would be right up his alley. I'll give you that much. Oh, he was a great guest. It was funny when I was uh, doing research on him and I was kind of watching his uh, his fight videos. I tell you, he's uh, a spitting image, head down, just giving her, throwing a right hand. No, uh, You know, uh you knew the left was. You knew the left was never going to come. Well, the thing about that left hand is, if I if I would have learned how to throw a left, I might have played another ten years. But uh, <laughs> couldn't quite get that one down. Well, <laughs> well, you did all right. But uh, well, so just uh, we'll just start off at the beginning here. Uh, so you uh, you grew up in Spy Hill and played your minor hockey there, correct? Yeah, I did. No, it's uh, Spy Hill is not a very big place. Even when I was growing up. Uh, you know, we just, just barely had enough, uh, kids to make a team. And then as I got older, you know, into that Bantam midget, we had to combine with towns and play the town. So it was, uh, nice thing about playing hockey back then, though, you could play for more than one town. I think, uh, one year at different times, I played for like six or seven different teams during the year, during like, uh, Pee Wee Bantam. So one thing about it, you know, growing up where I did, uh, ice time was never, uh, a shortage didn't have the rules they did now so we were allowed to you know play up play above an age group so we could play in multiple teams so you got lots of ice absolutely and uh well and then so to play um i i saw your to play triple a midget you came into saskatoon here and played for the blazers and uh you had a couple interesting teammates i heard uh, i was reading it was uh killer kaminsky and uh kevin shovel Dayoff. We had quite the team on, you know, with that team. We had, uh, you know, Keller was on that team, uh, Chevy, obviously, uh, Curtis Lefishin, you know, another yeah. first round draft pick, uh, David Sreesh that, uh, played a lot of hockey. We had, uh, most of those guys on that team. Uh, you know, Cam Brown went on to play, uh, a lot of years in, in the Western League and, and a lot of games pro. So it was a pretty special group of players they put together for that, uh, that triple A mini year for sure. Absolutely. Well, and then, uh, so you uh, you, you kind of turned you turned seventeen and you and you hit the Brandon Wheat Kings um, right away. Were you kind of uh, you know you I mean you know right away you you know first season you get to twenty one fights and you had seven goals and did the was the fighting something uh, were you kind of always a feisty kid or was it something that you figured if I'm going to stick with this team I better uh, better drop the gloves? Yeah, it was more the latter. Like growing up playing minor hockey and even Triple A midget, you were a guy that. Uh, you know, got lots of ice time, uh, scored a lot of goals. And, you know, then once you got to junior camp, there was every kid from every small town that kind of played that role. So for me, I kind of figured out on my own if I was going to stick and make the team, I was going to have to bring a little something else. So if I could be that, you know, kind of that high-energy guy and a guy that would be willing to maybe drop the gloves, add another element uh, to my game, it wouldn't hurt. 
and and honestly, I, I didn't mind the fighting. You know, you're a young kid growing up, and you you kind of look forward to it. And you, I kind of I didn't mind it, so it wasn't like anybody was pushing me to do it. It was something that I wanted to do. And I knew it would definitely help me uh, have a better chance of making the team. Well, I was going to say you played, uh, you know, with the, with the four seasons in Brandon. That's the one thing about playing in Brandon uh, in the Western Hockey League. None of those trips are easy. Every one of those trips is long. I imagine you got a few bus stories from those days. Well, you do. And you know what? You found out in a hurry how much you love to play hockey because, you know, playing the West League, especially in Brandon, we were a team that wasn't that good, so you took a lot of them. Uh, you know, and it's a long trip after getting, uh, you know, going to Saskatoon, PA after that trip and then having a, a long trip home. So you had to love to play. Uh, one story coming back from, from PA, I'll never forget it. Uh, we ran out of gas. We ran out of diesel about an hour outside of Brandon. It was like minus 40. Uh, the bus driver, he couldn't figure it out. We had enough, uh, fuel for, 16 hours, he said, but it was eight and a half hours, eight and a half hours back, so I don't know how he can figure it out, but we ended up parked on the side of the road, so that bus, yeah, it actually spent a lot of time with the guys, made some great friendships, and you know, through that time with Brandon, some of those guys are uh, still some of my best friends today. No, absolutely, and uh, and like you said, and then of course the Western League, you know, like like you said, it's uh, not only long bus rides, but uh, especially back then, I mean, in your first year, 86, 87, and and uh, well, throughout the time that you were playing there, I mean that you know it was the Wild West, and every team was stacked. And uh, like you just throw out Saskatoon, I mean, right there, of course, you have Kaminsky and Kelly Chase and Tony Twist and Kerry Clark, and you know PA has Kimball and Simpson, and you know and Moose Jaw's got Old Line and Mike Keen, and I mean, there's never a shortage of dance partners, that's for sure. No, that Saskatoon uh, PA trip it was kind of funny, you know, if we. Uh played a home game on a, on a Thursday and we had to leave that night after the game to go to PA and uh, Saskatoon. There were some guys that uh, they didn't even pack their stuff for the road because they knew they were getting hurt that night at home, which was kind of <laughs> an indication of just one uh, of like making that trip. No, absolutely. Well, I know your first year. I'm just kind of looking at your fight card. I know one of the names that uh, the listeners will be familiar with was Darren Kimball, who you actually fought like three times that year. Um how, how did those fights with Kimball go? The, uh, the first one, not very well at all, uh, to be honest. I actually got pummeled. I think it was. I think I fought him. Uh, they're open up the season, uh, Saskatoon PA. So I fought him the second game of the season. And he actually just handed me my lunch. And uh, then throughout the year, kind of got a little more confidence, a little better. So I went back at him a couple more times and gradually did a little better each time. I'm not saying I won, but uh, I didn't get beat up as bad, I guess, to put it that way. Well, you got a good memory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was the second fight of the year. It was with Kimball. Yeah, your very first Western League fight. It's got down here as uh, versus Corey Bolio was your first one. Yeah, no, he was a defenseman there for for Moose Jaw. I'm pretty sure he's a big guy, and uh, yeah. you know, I kind of wanted to get that first one over with, and kind of wanted to you know prove to your teammates into the league that you're you know going, you're there, and you know look out for him and uh, be a guy that can count on. So. Yeah, there was uh, that first year. I actually I still remember a, a lot of that year, just kind of going through those experiences. Well, one of the names that we threw out that, of course, the listeners, uh, everyone knows, is the Twister, Tony Twist, and uh, uh, you know, and, uh, what what was it like uh, fighting Tony? Well, you know, that was early in the year too, and, and Tony had just come from uh, BC from the BC Junior League. So honestly, I didn't know a whole lot about him. And, uh, you know, I knew he was pretty tough 
And then once we got into it, it was, oh, man. It, it was actually a really good fight. Uh, but he caught me with one. It's probably still to this day maybe the, one of the hardest punches I've ever taken. And uh, probably a reason why my nose does look like it does when he caught me. But, uh, no, he was uh, he was tough, and we went at it. That, like I said, it was actually a pretty good fight. But uh, I probably didn't know about as much of him as I should have, I guess. <laughs> well, the following year... Um you, you, you know, you, you you step up, you get the seventeen goals and uh, a few more a few more tilts and uh, a couple guys that I noticed on the roster with you that this year, um, you know, you had mentioned him earlier was Cam Brown and uh, another guy was Barry Drager. What was it like playing with those guys? Well, actually, uh, Brownie and I we ended up being uh, line mates there for the last two years, and you know, we we had some pretty success together. Uh, we were great friends off the ice, and uh, you know, Brownie was was really tough too. like he surprised a lot of guys he was a sneaky lefty and he could play the game so we developed quite a friendship there and uh you know barry drager came on uh, and he just got better and better as time went on barry had some good skill and then he kind of took to the physical game a lot like a lot of guys do and he didn't back down and really just expanded his game and you know you look at barry uh after he left brandon he went on to spokane you know did very well with them and then went on to have a, a great career, played a lot of games. And, you know, Barry is one of those guys that never, ever forgot his role. Like, he was always willing to do his job. Even in his last few years, he was still, you know, I, I think he was over 250, 200 penalty minutes. Like, he was still a guy that wanted to do his job and enjoyed it. So, you know, I, I enjoyed my time with Dregs. It's interesting. I'm just kind of looking at the roster now. That second, you had four guys with 50 goals in that team that year. <laughs> I tell that story all the time. We had four 50-goal scores, and we made the playoffs by one point, I think, on the last day of the season. So we didn't have a whole lot of defense. Uh, but, yeah, four 50-goal scores. And uh, so, yeah, we ended up playing Prince Albert in the first round of the playoffs. Game one was just a, a, a total uh, bloodbath. Our coach, Mark Pezzan, we went in, and it was we are going to show him how tough we were. And uh, uh, he was quite the game. But like I said, I remember a lot of those games my first year, and that was definitely one of them. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's funny. Four fifty goal scorers. And you, you guys made it by one. Um, well, and then well, I was just kind of looking at the league leaders that year, and uh, you know, of course, at the top of the leaderboard, uh, it had Moose Jaw was uh, Theron Flurry, and then of course, in Swift Current was uh, Joe Sackick. Of course, your your careers would uh, intertwine as it, as it would go. But what was it like playing Flurry and Moose Jaw back then? You know, Baron was such a dynamic player. You know, he was so skilled and he was so quick. And, you know, he had that energy and he had that, you know, that passion. So he he was a special player to play because he just, one thing about Theron, he was driven, you know, and, and he wanted to play. Uh, and for a small guy, there was, he took that personally. I think so many people told him from all the time, all the way from minor hockey, that it was too small, he couldn't play. And, you know, he just ended up proving everybody wrong and, you know, what a career he ended up having. No, absolutely, yeah. I just, uh, you know, and of course, you know, with he, he'd get riled up there, the old crush can and Moose Jaw. And, uh, yeah, that had to be quite the scene playing him and, uh, him and Moose Jaw with O-Line and all them. And he, well, yeah, because he loved to stir things up. So he'd get everybody fired up, you know, and then he had Keen and uh, O-Line lined up, and then you had your hands full. And, you know, you mentioned another name, Joe Sackett. You know, that team they had the Swift Current. I remember uh, they set a WHL record for most power play goals in a game against us one night in Swift Current. 
and I'll never forget that that game. We just kept going out trying to run them out of the building, and they just kept scoring goal after goal after goal. And, you know, you put Sackage on that power play and you give him the, the puck, that release he had, it was unbelievable, especially at the junior level. No, absolutely. And uh, and actually a name back there that was a, a real big scorer back then. And, I, you know, I've, I've talked to other guests about him, and he kind of had that, uh, you know, that minor league kind of uh, – uh, uh, Bagabon kind of z- existence with uh, Trevor Job. Yeah, you know, and that's right. There's a name I haven't thought of for a while, but he could score. Yeah. You know, he wasn't the prettiest skater, the smoothest guy, but some of those guys just had a knack of finding the net. You know, like I compare him to like uh, a guy that I played against, Luke Robitaille. You know, he didn't look flashy. You know, you watch him skate and warm up, and you're like, what? And then all of a sudden, you know, at the end of the night, he's got two and two, and he just put himself in the right position, a good player, and just pick his spots. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of as, as we go on here in the, in the, in the Western Hockey League, 88-89, um, you kind of you have the big year, uh, 31 goals. And, uh, you know, 31 goals, 25 tilts, and, uh, you know, kind of really, um, you know, really kind of putting it all together that year. You know, and, and then of course, you had, uh, there, was a, there was a new coach in town, uh, you know, a, another Saskatchewan guy, Doug Sauter. Yeah, and with Doug, you know, he was a straight-up shooter. He always knew where you stood uh, with Doug. And, when, and he gave me an opportunity to play, kind of believed in me, you know, gave me some power play time, uh, put me in a position to succeed. And, uh, no, it started coming together. And, you know, a guy, you know, he paid the price, and you you did your fighting to buy your time. But, you know, I got an opportunity to finally, you know, play again and play in those positions. And, uh, you know, it was fun uh, getting to score goals and, you know, ultimately, you were you're playing to get drafted, and it was kind of disappointing that year. We put together that season we did, uh, you know, with myself and Cam Brown, but uh, still weren't able to get drafted, which is a little frustrating. But it was uh, it was fun just to get back to that level where you're actually playing in all situations again. Yeah, uh, yeah. You brought up not getting dra- like had uh, had you had any interest from teams? Like, were you surprised that you didn't go, or uh, like what? Like, that's surprising, especially for the era. You know, a guy that fights, you know, 31 goals, 25 fights. I mean, you know, Jesus, what more, what more could what more could you do? I mean, uh, you know, did, had you talked to anybody? Well, yeah, we did our you know, interviews with a lot of teams, and I had teams tell me they were going to take me in the sixth round if, if I was still available. Um, you know, the biggest knock for me, the biggest question I always had, whether I could skate at that level or not. Um, so I think at the end of the day, they just kind of looked at it and they decided that, uh, you know, skating wasn't there. And, and it was, it bothered me. Like I looked at guys that got drafted, like Reed Simpson and Jim McKenzie and, you know, guys that, you know, kind of played a similar role that I thought, you know, I could compare to player wise. Um, and it didn't work out. So it was, it was really disappointing. And then you kind of wonder, well, you know, maybe this isn't a chance. There is no chance of me going on if uh, you can't even get drafted. Back then, there was, you know, there was twelve rounds, so it wasn't like you didn't have a lot of opportunities to draft a guy. Yeah, well, yeah, and like you said, so the following season, I mean, you come back, you're a twenty year old. Um, you know, again, thirty seven goals. Uh, you know, um, 20, 23 tilts. I mean, another big year. Um, one of the teammates I had. Uh, I had Kent Staniforth on this show a while ago, and uh, he was telling a few stories. And one of the names that he brought up that uh, went on, that he played in the Alberta League Junior League with, but he was playing in Brandon with you at this time with Glenn Webster. 
Joe Webby, yep. No, he was a, a younger guy at that time, and, and he was a great kid. Like, man, and that, you know, they had those kids that come up that just loved to play and gave you everything you have. And uh, Webby was definitely one of those kids. He was a great teammate, and, uh, you know, just as good as a person also. So, no, I definitely have uh, fond memories of Webby. Yeah, and, uh, oh, here, I got I got a question to ask you. It, it's uh, it's on my YouTube channel. I put it on there, It's and it's one of your fights with uh, – with Grant Chorney in Saskatoon, you got booted out for a match penalty. Was that legit? Uh, unfortunately, yes, and that had uh, you know pretty big repercussions. Uh, Grant Chorney and I had quite a battle going back and forth, yeah. and uh, I think there's about four games left in the season. Uh, we got into it at fast place, and uh, I got a match penalty for eye gouging, if you can believe it, and uh, ended up getting a five game suspension. At the time. We were battling uh, for a playoff spot, and we ended up having a one-game playoff with Slip Current to see who uh, would go on to play, and that was uh, the last game of my suspension. So, you know, at that point, I was playing quite a bit. So that uh, that penalty necessary. Oh, Hello. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you got me. Uh, yeah, I kind of lost you there for a second, but uh, no, I got you now. Hey, perfect. No, you were just saying, yeah, you kind of cut out there. Yeah, the suspension went right into the the playoff game, the one round, one game playoff. Yeah, one game playoff. So that was the final game of my suspension, uh, and we ended up losing the Swift Current. So you know, we lost out on a playoff opportunity my twenty year old year, and and that was disappointing. And I was kind of mad at myself. Uh, you let your emotions get the, get the best of you, and you do something stupid like that in a fight, and it ends up uh, costing you and your team. Um, yeah, just kind of. Uh... Just kind of going through just the different names here in the in the in the Western League uh, before we leave there. Um, was there anybody that you kind of had like a personal rivalry with that uh, back then that like every time you met, it's like, yeah, I'm going to get this guy. I'm not so sure if it was like that, but there's there's certain guys. I remember uh, <clears throat> Craig Nickel played for Regino. Yeah, you know, we kind of played similar roles, and it seems every time we ran each other, it was. Uh, the gloves were off, and you know we had some some great battles. Um, and that would be there were so many guys on, on every team that, that played hard that that wouldn't back down. So you go uh, any arena, there was guys there. Yeah, you know, Saskatoon was always tough, and it was just there was no nights off. You know, there was no easy games. No, uh, no, not at all. Well, so over that summer, you're 20 years old. Um, I believe you got was it the Minnesota North Stars kind of. Uh, set you up in terms of did you go to a summer camp well yeah right before um my 20 year old year um you know i didn't get drafted my 19 year old year the Minnesota north stars invited me to a development camp in brainerd minnesota so i went there spent the summer in brainerd minnesota uh working out there and then i actually ended up getting an invite to Minnesota north stars camp uh before my 20 year old year so i went to camp in brandon and then i i left there and I went to Minnesota North Stars camp, and that was kind of a the story I, I tell a lot. I was uh, meeting with my coach Doug Sauter, getting ready to go to camp, and I was all excited about going to camp. And uh, like I said, Doug was a pretty straight shooter. He calls me in his office and he says, "Audie, you know what? It's great you're going to camp. I'm proud of you for getting a tryout." But he says, in reality, nobody knows who you are in there. You're not drafted. You don't have a contract. And he says, if you're serious about making that team you better make them write your name down every time you're on the ice. So 
you know, I shook his hand, thanked him, got on my first ever plane ride, went down to Kalamazoo, Michigan uh, for training camp. And uh, the first game we played against a guy uh, named Basil McCray. You know, he was their captain the year before, had 300, 300 penalty minutes. And sure enough, my first shift was his first shift on the ice, and they drop the puck, and we get at it. And uh, I can just hear uh, Doug Sauter's words in my mind, you know, make him write my name down. So we ended up fighting like four times, and uh, Pierre Paget actually kicked us off the ice. Uh, so he'd seen enough. So he kicked us off the ice. Uh, both of us need repairs. So they throw us in the same training room to get stitched up. And at this point, I think I'm dead. I think my life is over. It's going to end right there. But, uh, yeah, no, Basil was great about it. He, he kind of knew what I was doing. I guess he probably didn't like it. Um, and, you know, we had some, some good tilts. And uh, I definitely got him to write my name down. Well, there we go. And, uh, well, the following year, your first year pro, um, I have I was reading online, I read a story um, that you and you went to Finland. And you got, and you guys got, you guys, uh, you guys pulled the Hanson brothers. I heard over there. Uh, could you share that story? Well, yeah, we were, so I ended up signing a personal services contract with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, the only problem was San Jose didn't have a team that year. Yeah. Um, so they signed us to a one-year personal services contract and a two-year NHL contract. So they had to find a place for me to play. So they called me in the office. I'm in Brainerd halfway through the summer. And they said, Augie, we want you to work on your skills and your skating, so we're sending you to Tampere, Finland. I'm like, perfect, you know? And I'm like, where's Finland? So go to the passport office, get my passport, I'm off to Finland, and uh, we're playing a team in the uh, elite division of Tampere. And as soon as I get there, I realize I'm kind of a little bit in over my head. You know, they're looking for their imports to come in there and lead their team in scoring. Uh, that's not going to be me. But we ended up playing some exhibition games. We ended up playing against a team uh, from Germany, and uh, Dale Durkatz was actually on, on that team. But it got a little haywire. We had a couple of fins that were a little rambunctious. So all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose on the ice. We end up in a bench playing brawl. And, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> it was entertaining, to say the least. Yeah, well, from what I've read, well, from what I was told, there's there's more to the story than that. Did those, did you not, did those two teams not meet in a bar later that night? Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I left that part out. Yeah. And it, uh, <laughs> it, it, it kind of carried on from there. And uh, the next day, uh, we were kind of politely asked to leave the country, so we, we came back looking for a place to play uh, the gentleman I was with. So, yeah, I guess there was a little more than that. <laughs> well, hey, that's all right. You know, it, like you said, the, the folk heroes, they start out as criminals. But, uh, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but so. Uh, not not a story your mom's proud of, but. Ah, you know, but, hey, you know, it, it was a long time ago. The The mistakes of youth. But um, so you come back to the states and you end up uh, playing for the Kansas City Blades of the uh, IHL. Um, what was? How did you? Enjoy, well, first of all, how was Kansas City, and uh, and what did you think of the IHL? Well, you know what? Uh, like we came back uh, from Finland, and uh, so we, we give management a call and say, "Okay, we're back. Where do we go now?" And they said, "Well, there's an expansion team in Kansas City." So. We hop in the truck and we head to, to Kansas City, myself and uh, Troy Frederick, a guy that I had played uh, in Brandon with. So we go down to Kansas City and we had quite the ragtag uh, team. Like the IHL back then 
with a group of guys that, you know, had some NHL experience and veteran guys that wanted to keep playing. And then they had the younger guys like ourselves that were just trying to make a name for ourselves and, and work our way up. So we had those older guys and then you had the group of young guys that were trying to make it. And it was, a, it was a wild league. Like it was pure chaos. And the team we had, we had so many uh, characters who played with, uh, you know, a guy named Jimmy Lattice, you know, another, uh, you know, legendary tough guy from the Western League and, and the minors. Actually on that team, uh, Claude Julian was actually on that team, the coach of the Montreal Canadiens. He was, uh, yeah. as of last year pro playing defense. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable experience, you know, for your first year away from home, not living with billets and living on your own, uh, Kansas City, you know, it was a fun city and, uh, the old IHL, it, it was pretty wild. Well, absolutely. And, uh, you know, your first pro season, 77 games, you get 12 goals. 31 points, 318 minutes. I mean, you know, you're swinging down there, and there's, like you said, there's no shortage of uh, of guys willing in the IHL at that time. But uh, and like you said, with your teammates, the one name you left off there that I that, and everyone's got some stories. And of course, you you went on, and like I said, you played a couple seasons with this cat. But I mean, the legendary, the missing link, Link Gates. <laughs> And that's all you got is I'm not sure if a guy has ever gotten more fame or more whatever, you know, for playing that, you know, he played the one season in the National Hockey League and he's remembered more than some guys that are in the Hall of Fame. Link was such a, a special individual. Like if you played with Link, you never forgot it. You know, he uh, was so talented, so tough and just man and just certifiably crazy at the same point. So it was a, it was a deadly combination. And, uh, yeah, he was, I guess Link was probably the only guy that I've ever played with where I was actually scared for other guys and the other team because we never knew what he was going to do. And I don't think he knew what he was going to do. So it was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that always sort of gets, that's lost on, like on today's fan or, cause I mean, they see the fight videos and you read all the stories about all the crazy stuff that he, you know, got into and, you know, and of course his issues and everything else. But I think what's forgotten is actually how good of a player he was. Well, he had unbelievable talent. And I'll tell you that, you know, straight up, like his skill, uh, you know, we'd always do that drilling practice where the forward would start on the hash marks in the bottom circle then the defenseman starts uh, at the top of the circle going straight backward. They blow the whistle and you go straight down the wall. Nobody could get by Link. Like, he was that good of a skater going straight backwards. Plus, you were scared to go by him because he might break your arm with a, with a two-hander. But he had legitimate skill. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, you know, that first year he played in San Jose, uh, you know, Marty McSorley was uh, a guy that was, you know, a tough guy, had an unbelievable career actually made the all-star team uh, one year for sure, probably a couple years. You know, to me, like, Link had that kind of ability. He was maybe even had a little more skill and just as tough, but he just, part of it is putting it all together. And so many people tried just to get that out of Link because, man, the potential he had, just pure talent, shooter puck, skating ability, charisma. Uh, you know, people were attracted to Link. And it's just, like I said, it's, it's too bad. You look at the mark that he made on the game in the short time he was there. Uh, he could have done a lot of good things. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, so the following year, like you said, uh, you know, it's San Jose's uh, first first season in the league. And uh, and were, were you surprised initially that um, that you didn't make the team? 
and you got sent back to Kansas City briefly? Well, I'm not sort of surprised as I was disappointed. You know, you went there for, for the first camp, uh, and you want to make a mark, and then the first round of cuts come, and, and I was part of it. And, and that was pretty devastating. I thought, well, at least I could have stuck around uh, for a little bit of the preseason, but no, they were getting down their team, got sent down to the minors. So there again, you're thinking, you know, maybe this isn't realistic. This isn't a chance. I don't have to make it. So getting sent down that first round of cuts was pretty disappointing because, you know, I trained all summer, went to camp in the best shape of my life, and uh, still got sent down. But um, like you said, you weren't in Kansas City for very long, just 12 games, then and then back up into the NHL for, uh, you know, well, for good at that point. Um you know, you played 61 games, and uh, what what was it like to make that uh, that NHL debut? I believe it was against the Islanders. Was your NHL debut? Was it not? It was, and, and you know what? You you wait your whole life for that call. Like from the time I was four years old, that was your dream to play in the NHL and to have it come true. And I guess probably before the game, uh, you shouldn't be that nervous. Uh, before you, you play a game, something you dream about your whole life. I was so nervous before the game. You know, I was making guys that had been in the league 10 years nervous before the game. And George Kingston was our coach. And, you know, what a great man he was. Uh, more respect for George. One of the most quality individuals I've ever played for. And, uh, you know, he could see that. He called me in the coach's office for the game. And he said, you know what? You, you know, you're here to play. We're not, we don't want you just to fight. We want you to play a bit. So don't worry about that. Just go out and play. But I never heard a word he said, and then we started the game off. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you fought for Coda, didn't you, right away? Yeah. No, it, uh, it's kind of funny. Right before my first shift, there's a pane of glass that breaks. I can remember this. And I was like, oh, my God, i got to wait how much longer. So then they go through the whole rotation again of guys on the ice. So I get out for one shift. Now, I didn't remember being on the ice. You didn't even touch the puck. Then my second shift, I run into Vakoda. Uh, we look at each other, the gloves come off, and kind of get that out of the way, um, have that first tilt out of the way. And I remember, you know, finishing that game and just sitting in the dressing room after Nassau Coliseum, you know, so much history uh, in that arena with the Islanders. You know, I watched the Islanders play so much when I was growing up, and I was just like, man, this is unbelievable. Like, I just played a game in the National Hockey League. And it's like, you know, how cool it would be if I could just stay here for another game. And luckily for me, you know, expansion came at a great time. Uh, and gave me some opportunities, and I, like I said, I was able to keep playing and keep staying there. Oh, absolutely! And um, you know, and you guys just looking at the roster. I mean, um, one of the one of the big uh, names at that point, of course, obviously was the first was the big first overall draft pick was uh, you know Pat Falloon, and uh, so he's eighteen. And I mean, you know, and it's and I mean, and he played he played you know five hundred or so games in the NHL, and uh, you know, which is hey, it's a great career. But of course, when you're the you know, the first overall pick, I mean, the expectations are really high and, you know, some will say he didn't live up to it and whatever, but, uh, what were your memories of, uh, an 18 year old Pat Falloon? You know what, uh, Patty grew up in the area here, just down the road in, yep. in, in Foxhorn. And, and I think, uh, Lindros was the first pick that year, I think. And then he was second, uh, San Jose was supposed to get first pick and they made that Lindros rule. Oh, right. Anyways, right. We ended up getting yep. Patty. Yeah, and uh, but you know what, Patty was was a was a great teammate, uh, and the thing I remember about Patty is just his release. Patty Falloon had one of the best releases that I have ever seen. He, you know, he used a really low lie stick with probably like a four, four and a half. Oh, you know, a lot of the shooters I like to pull that puck into their feet 
and, and snap it, you know, how Sackett got rid of that wrist shot. Where Patty had that ability, the puck was always, you know, away from his body. And he could maneuver his body around the puck and get the shot off. And, uh, you know, he scored some big goals for us. He scored a game-winning goal for us against the Montreal Canadiens in the Cow Palace off a face-off in our end, I remember. And, uh, you know what? He, he was strong for, for that kid and just his release. Man, it was so jealous. He had a great release. Absolutely, and uh, like I said, just kind of looking at your roster, I mean, you know, with the expansion team and everything else, I mean, you guys certainly didn't have any, uh, you know, shortage of toughness, um, you know, kind of in and out, and other, you know, because of course you had yourself and Link and, uh, you know, Neil Wilkinson and uh, Perry Anderson, and even had Craig Cox, and uh, one of the names I wanted to throw at you, he's sort of a, you know, he played briefly with uh, San Jose, but... He went on, of course, he holds the professional hockey record for penalty minutes, was Kevin Evans. Do you remember Kevin? Oh, I remember him well. Uh, you know, when I went down to Brainerd, Minnesota, that development camp, you know, he was spending his summers there, too, uh, you know, trying to get an edge. And the reason I remember Kevin Evans, because I, I go down there, and they said there's this guy here that had, was it 648 or 680 yep. penalty minutes in, in a single season? Yep. So, you know, you're walking around, you're waiting for this Kevin Evans to come out, you're waiting for this six foot six monster that kind of drags his knuckles on the ground. And then you meet him and you're like, what? You know, he, he's five foot nine, 170 pounds or whatever, and, but fearless. Absolutely fearless, I think is the word that I use for Kevin Evans. And he could play. You know, yep. he scored 30 goals one year in the International Hockey League. You know, I skated with him in the summer. He had good skill. And he was just competitive off the charts. You know, to have, I can't even, he had two seasons where he had 500-plus penalty minutes, and he was not scared of anybody. You know, and you combine that with that skill. Um, you know, I know he played a few games for us that year. And I remember the one game we had a, a melee in Chicago, and it all hell breaks loose, and he ends up getting in a fight with Jeremy Roenick. Uh, which was one of his fights. So, uh, no, I remember Kevin Evans well, and I, I remember just how competitive he was and how much I thought he was going to be this great, big, huge, hulking guy. And he's this smaller guy that just had, you know, crazy, crazy competitiveness. He reminds me a lot of, you know, Kevin Kaminsky, killer. You talk about a guy that you expect to be, you know, this huge guy, but he was just all competing hard. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and just kind of going down your uh... – the fight card for, for that season. Um, one of the names that sticks out, because um, you actually fought him uh, a couple times that year uh, when he was playing for Quebec, was the uh, was the late John Cordick. What was it like fighting Rambo? <laughs> well, interesting story. Um, see, our first, my first road trip, we ended up in uh, Quebec City. And uh, I didn't really know much about guys in the league, and we ran into a, I ran into a guy named Herb Ragland. Yep. And we end up having uh, having a fight. And uh, you know how you land that one punch? And, and I got one in on Raglan and pretty good punch. And I think Raglan and Cordic uh, were pretty good buddies. So next shift out after I fight Raglan, here comes Cordic. And uh, so he comes after me, and we have a bit of a fight. We, we kind of fall down. So we play back in um, San Jose, I believe it was December. It was, and it was my parent. Yeah, it was my parent's first game out, coming to watch me play in the National Hockey League, and we're playing against the Nordiques, and I and I know it's coming. So sure enough, here comes Cordic, and we have you know a really good tilt. Like I gave up, 
a bit of size and a bit of reach on it, but we have a great tilt. Um, I ended up breaking my hand in that fight, and I'll never forget after the game or after the fight, Jack Farrar, our GM, comes into the dressing room. He said, welcome to the heavyweight division, kid, because uh, of the fight I had with John Cordick. And uh, so I'm beaming from year to year, and I'm all cut up in my hands the size of a bowling ball. I'm all excited. My mom and dad are sitting there going, yeah, I guess we should be happy for you, but you're all cut up and hands swollen. You're out for six weeks. But, uh, yeah, so, no, Gordick, he was, he was tough. No, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, and you had, you had so many, you know, big, big names that, that first year in the league. And, uh, you know, you know, from Dave Manson to Dennis Vial to, you know, Basil, like you said, uh, Alan May, uh, Craig Berube, um, how is it? Um, you you mentioned the kind of the anxiety leading up to it. Um, you know, for for the for the amount of years that you played and you did the role, did that sort of ever get easier for you, or was it always just a mental battle? Uh, you know, it did get easier, but it was something that, that was always there. You know, because like you said back then, you mentioned all those guys. Every team had had a couple guys like that coming in and learning how to deal with that. Anxiety was probably the biggest challenge that, uh, you know, a lot of us faced. Uh, and, you know, for me, I know I, I told the story to be during the season, be, you know, two to three nights a week, you would sweat right through your sheets. And, you know, I thought I had something going on with, uh, you know, my sugar levels or my blood or whatever. So the doctors did all these tests and they couldn't find anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, like the season ends and you're not sweating through your sheets anymore. And then next year the season starts again. So just, you know, you know, dealing with that. And I'm not, it wasn't a bad thing. Like you were anxious and you were nervous, but it was just kind of learning how to cope with it. I think as I got older, you got better at it. Um, I think having a family and having more to concentrate on, you know, away from the rink once you left the rink definitely helped with it. But it was always something you, you kind of had to manage because you knew you had to be ready. Uh, you had to go into every game like it was like it was going to happen, but at the same point, you couldn't let it uh, overwhelm you and take over your life. You had to be able to control it and, and still be able to play at the same point. No, absolutely, and uh, of course, with San Jose being in the old uh, you know in the old Smythe division, um, you know, you obviously you played. Uh, I mean, I have to ask because I mean, you played LA all the time. What was it like playing against Wayne Gretzky? It was it was so cool, you know. And you know, I look back on the guys that I got to play against, and I got to play against, you know, like Lemieux and Gretzky, uh, Eiserman, like those guys from that era. And it was just so unbelievable. It was almost so surreal. Uh, you know, we talk about that LA team. Uh, <laughs> we went out, and uh, you know, on the road, obviously, home team has the last change. So we have a defensive zone face-off, and our Kingston puts out uh, my line. So we're getting ready for the face-off, and over the boards from L.A. come Gretzky, Curry, and Taylor, and then Paul Coffey and Larry Robinson uh, are on defense. So I'm sitting there watching these guys come over the boards, and I'm like, oh, the last time I seen this, I was like on my couch watching Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. So I'm still in awe. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness. And so they drop the puck, and I'm still kind of in awe. And then all of a sudden, the whole bench is just screaming my name, wanting me to get off the ice because they don't want me out there against these guys. But it was, you know, so cool to, to play against those guys. And then, you know, later on, there was a couple games there. We got in our playoff runs a couple years later. Uh, the line I played on with Jamie Baker and Chris Hansel, we had a little bit of success. 
we actually for a couple of games matched up against Gretzky's line, you know, for for shifts. So that's something I always remember, and just such a, a cool experience to be on the ice with him. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, uh, you know, and of course, uh, and it was funny because growing up, of course, you know, growing up with the Battle of Alberta and Edmonton and everything, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, I guess it's carried on to this generation with Crosby. Um, I was, how big of a talker was Gretzky out there? And did he, and did he cry and whine as much as the fans sometimes say he did? <laughs> you know, I, I don't really remember him you know, talking much. And I know he'd always be in the referee's ear, just kind of letting him know. And he could, you know, it was Wayne Gretzky, so he would definitely uh, sway them a bit. But, uh, you know, Gretzky just, he was so unbelievable just to watch him from the bench and the little things he did and how, you know, and I know guys always say, well, there's an unwritten rule, nobody will ever hit Gretzky. And, and no, like, he never put himself in a position to get hurt. You know, all the times I remember playing against him, I don't ever remember him putting himself in a bad position, you know, to get ran over. He was, he was that smart of a player. No, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and like you said, I mean, you know, with, uh, you know, with Gretzky, you know, comes McSorley. And I know you had some battles with Marty's, Marty over the years. Um, what was it like fighting Marty? I mean, he'd come out of that jersey and the, you know, and it was like, you know, the shoulder pads and everything's coming off. And how tough of a fight was that? Right, he was a gamer, and, and, he, and he was mean, too. Like, he didn't care yeah. what he did. He he would do anything to win a fight. Uh, but you know what? I got a ton of spec, respect for Marty McSorley. Uh, just from personal experience, and I'll share with you. Uh, one night at the Cow Palace, you know, that first couple of years, I'm trying to prove how, how tough I am. So I square off with Marty at center ice, and uh, he knocks me out. And I go down, and, you know, I'm a kid, so I pop up like nothing happens. I don't even know where the penalty box was in their own rink. So they put me in the penalty box. I come back across the ice. And, you know, back then, there's no concussion testing. There's nothing like that. So I'm embarrassed. I got beat at home. And I remember going out later in that game, and I I think, you know, I got to go after McSorley to redeem myself. Uh, So I go after Marty and and challenge him to fight again. And and he won't fight me. And it was kind of funny. It was years later, actually, uh, with myself and my two sons. I was doing the radio uh, with the Atlanta Thrashers, and we were in a press room uh, before a game, and uh, Marty McSorley was working for the Sharks. So we were actually having uh, a bite to eat for the pregame, and he, we talked about that fight. And he says, you know, I wouldn't fight you that game because I knew you weren't right. He says, I knew you were hurt, and you know what? He fought me the next game, but, you know, he wouldn't fight me that game because he knew I was hurt, and... uh you know, a lot of guys would have taken advantage of that situation and you know, <laughs> totally gave it to me, but uh, Marty didn't. And, uh, you know, that's just the way he approached the game. And, you know, as tough as he was and as mean as he could be, he's got a lot of respect for how that game should be played. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, before we leave here, your first season, um, of course, you had your first NHL goal. Do you remember who it was against? I certainly do. It was against uh, Kevin Weeks. Or, sorry, Steve Weeks. Yeah. Uh, with the Islanders, yeah, and it was it set a record at that time for the quickest goal to start a game, and uh, it's funny because uh, Weeks he was my assistant coach uh, in Atlanta, so I, I never let him uh, forget it. But we started the game. I was on a line with uh, Dean Emerson and Paul Fenton. Uh, Kingston kind of liked the way that uh, the energy we brought to start the game, so we started. The game. 
And, uh, yeah, Pop, the first one in. Hard to forget that one. There, Well, the first one's the hardest one, right? And then it's all uphill from there, or uh, downhill from there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, kind of. <laughs> but, uh, well, so, like, the following year, 92-93, I mean, uh, again, 12, big year, 12 goals, uh, you know, 19 tilts. Um, at this point, are, I, I guess, when did you start getting, I don't know, like, did you ever get comfortable? Like I'm an NHL regular and, or were you always sort of, did you always perceive that you were on the bubble? Yeah, I always teed up on the bubble just because, you know, I, you didn't have enough skill that you were going to stick around and just as a playmaker or a goal scorer. That wasn't an option, you know, and I was never, you know, a big enough guy that you were going to be that heavyweight that guys would just leave you alone. So I knew I was in that position where, you know, they could find a guy that could maybe score a few more goals or maybe a guy that was a little bit tougher, a little bit bigger. So I always felt like, you know what, I got to keep proving myself. I can't open the door uh, for anybody else to come in and, and take my job. So that's the way I always looked at it. I always kept it in the back of my mind. And, you know, you have lots of guys and only guys say, you know what, you don't have to fight this much. You don't have to do that. But in my mind, I, I wasn't going to leave that to chance. You know, I was going to try and do everything I could uh, to keep playing. So I never, ever really did feel comfortable. Um, well, I was just kind of, like I said, looking at the roster here and a couple tough guys that were kind of briefly on San Jose at the time um, with you. Uh, one of the names was Lyndon Byers. And, of course, he had quite the reputation. Uh, do you have any, uh, any, any memories of playing with Lyndon? Well, I sure do. You know, he, he was a character and he was a great teammate. And and crazy. That's that's the word to describe. Lynn and crazy, whether it's off the ice or on the on the ice. You know, he he lived life to the fullest. Uh, and he was a guy that uh, you kind of wanted to be like. He had that way about him and that bigger than life personality. And no, I can't say enough about Lynn. He was he was tough, but he could play hard, and uh, he had a ton of fun. No, absolutely. And uh, another name is uh, you know, of course, another uh, you know smaller Western WHL guy. Uh, you know, so definitely sort of actually kind of in the mold of yourself was uh, Doty Wood. No, for sure. Like, uh, Doty was definitely a guy that, uh, you know, was kind of right in, in my weight range. And, you know, he, he could play the game. He had some good skill, uh, you know, and ultimately ended up leaving San Jose. And, you know, Doty was a guy that played there that I think they thought you could, could fill that role. So, you know, there's always guys like, like Doty and that coming up and uh, got to know Doty pretty good. Uh, you know, he was a tough guy for his size, and he could still play a bit, and, uh, you know, a great teammate. Uh, always enjoyed playing with Doty. You, you must have had some interesting training camps with San Jose. You know, we did. You know, we did, and the thing is, we, we all kind of got along pretty good, and, we, and we, we understood that, you know, beating each other up wasn't going to prove a whole bunch. Um, and then, you know, once exhibition season started, it was, it was game on, like, let's go. Um, and, you know, so we had a group of guys, we, we got along together, uh, we helped each other, you know, whether it's in the off season training or, or playing during the games, we were there for each other, but yet you were, you know, you were still competing. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, one, one of the fights early on in the year that you had was, uh, and this guy's a favorite of mine. I, I was just actually watching the fight last night. That's a really great fight off the face off was with, uh, Brad May. Yeah. And, uh, like Mayday was a, was a great fighter, and he and he could play too. And he probably hit me 
uh, as hard or harder than I have ever been hit. You know, you hit me right square in the cheekbone, and by the next morning, my whole side of my uh, face was swollen up uh, beyond belief, and I and I actually broke my hand again in that fight. That was the second time uh, that I broke my hand. But no, he was another guy right around my size, and man, he he packed a punch. Yes, he did. Um, well, and then of course, another guy that you uh, you have your first run-ins with. Um, you know, of course, would go on, you know, had a legendary career at this point. He was with Winnipeg. Uh, and I know you fought him a few times in this season, was was Domi. Uh, what was it like fighting Ty? And uh, is it as frustrating as it looks? It, it really is. Like, you know, his, his center of gravity was so low. And he and he just swung to the fences. And you know what? The thing with Ty is he, he could take a punch. You could whack him as hard as he could, and it doesn't pay him. He, he's still coming. Uh, and he would just keep going. He was tenacious. So the thing is, when you went with Ty, you, you knew you were in for it. There was no punching and grabbing. There was no holding on. It was, it was all or nothing. And, uh, you know, Ty, a, a guy that we battled uh, quite a few times uh, during our careers, and he was another guy to play. You know, he went on and scored some goals and played some uh, pretty good role in some playoff runs when they were in Toronto. Um, so, no, Ty was a guy that... Uh, you know, you kind of looked at too of guys that you want to be able to be able to contribute. No, absolutely. And uh, well, the following year, ninety three, ninety four. This is kind of a big year with the set with in San Jose. I mean, you guys make the playoffs for the first time, and of course, you have the uh, the, the massive upset of the Detroit Red Wings in the first round. Um, how how big of a thrill was that? It was unbelievable. You know, we went into that series, and uh, you know, Kevin Constantine was our coach. And uh, Kevin Constantine, you were never more prepared to play a game than, than playing for Kevin. He had every little detail uh, figured out, you know, from all the way. Of, he had it down to which which direction we wanted to push Paul Coffey out from behind the net when he set up. Uh, like, every inch of that ice was accounted for. And, you know, Detroit had a great team. And, you know, we, we did well with one game one. And there was a couple games in that series where we got blown out. But we had a pretty resilient group. We got refocused right back at it. And, you know, you get to game seven where anything can happen. Uh, you know, and we had confidence as a group. We had just come off one of the biggest turnarounds in NHL history from the year before. Uh, we had that line of Larianoff, Makarov, and Garpenloff. And they went with uh, Norton and Oslunch. Basically, they played as a five-man unit. They could do whatever they wanted on the ice. The rest of us had to follow a strict system. So we had three lines that were basically doing exactly what they were supposed to, and then a group of five that could do whatever they want. So it was kind of a, a tough team to defend against. Archer Zerbe in net for us was unbelievable. And like I said, we took it to game seven, and uh, Jamie Baker scored that goal in the third period, and that place went quiet. You could have hit a pin drop in Joe Lewis Arena. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, well, there was lots of swearing at my house because I could tell you, you killed my playoff. You guys killed my playoff pool that year. Um, <laughs> I think you guys killed a lot of people's playoff pools that year. Uh, well, and then, uh, well, then you go on to the second round. You have the big seven game series with the Leafs. You know, we were up three games to two in that series. Yeah. And then we went into, we went into overtime. Um, Johan Garpenhoff, I believe, hits the crossbar. Sandus Ozelinch has an opportunity in the slot. Uh, we end up passing the puck off. And, you know, they come back and uh, they get that goal. They take it to game seven. And then Wendell Clark 
uh, takes over game seven and we end up losing in a heck of a series. But yeah, we, that Cinderella story almost, uh, you know, kept going. Uh, so we were that close to going on. So, uh, no, unbelievable run. And I remember we lost out in the second round. We came back to San Jose and they actually had a parade for us. That's just, uh, you know, what kind of popularity the Sharks had at that time. So, you know, playing in California and that market was, was awesome. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, you know, besides that big playoff, I have to ask you because, you know, he's everybody, you know, everyone always says he's the best and, and everything else. And, I mean, uh, you know, of course you had, you, you battled him three times that year. Um, was of course the the late Bob Probert. What what was it like fighting Proby and uh, and uh, tell me you got any stories of Bob? You know, just uh, like I said, we ended up uh, fighting quite a bit uh, over the course of my career. But you know that that first time it happened. You know what I mean? Because he he was the guy. He was the guy that everybody measured up against. And uh, you know that first time I fought him in, in Joe Louis Arena, you go into it and you're like, oh man, I hope he doesn't knock me right out. Because uh, he and he was the guy, and Bob, you know, he didn't turn many guys down, and so fighting him was one of those guys that you always kind of measure yourself against. And the thing was, he could play too. You know, like he made the All Star game. He played on a line with Eiserman. He was the player that you know all guys like me. You wanted to be like a Bob Prober. You wanted to be Rick Tockett or, or Cam Mew. You wanted to be the guy that could, that could do it all, and uh, very few guys could, but. Uh, and, and Prover, he'll be legendary forever. Just uh, uh, the era he had about him. Yeah, and um, like, were you uh, when you were playing? Like, I mean, obviously there was no internet or YouTube or anything at that at this time. Were you were you a video guy? Did you like kind of do any scouting against everybody, or was it just sort of you know word of mouth and grab and grab and let's swing and let's find out? Or uh, how did you do it? Well, I. I did a little bit. I didn't want to get, uh, like overthink it, but you, you definitely wanted to know, you know, I guess if he was a lefty or righty and, and you knew with Probert that, you know, he loved to get the guy swinging. He gets you going in circles. So I knew for myself that I was going to fight Probert. I had to get inside and kind of square him up because if he ever got you strung out and you start happened to be the ones where he started swinging you around, um, then he just throw an uppercut and not balance. And you're just uh, at that point, you're just ducking and trying to save your your skin. No, oh, well, absolutely, and uh, yeah, and just uh, and like I said, just for you know, for for us fans watching, and I mean, you know, I've seen all of Probert's fight, probably seen every Probert fight three times over, but uh, um, yeah, I can imagine when he when he got a hold of you, it was uh, you know, and then he of course he skates backwards, and again with the jersey coming off, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that had to be terrifying. Well, you know, for a while there, everybody's jerseys were coming off. Yeah, and you know, it, it made it made it kind of hard because you never you didn't have anything to grab onto. You know, at one point when we were, I remember my first year in the minors before they outlawed it, uh, they actually would cut the seams on the sleeves of their jerseys, and then they just velcro them together. So you, you'd go to grab a guy and you'd grab you know right where his, his bicep is, thinking you have him. And they got their whole seam velcroed together, so all of a sudden their arms coming out. And you get hit two or three times before you even know what's going on. So, uh, you know, everybody was looking for all kinds of advantage. You know, guys even had Vaseline and stuff on their shoulders, so that when they slip out of their jersey, the shoulder pads would come off. <laughs> it, it was quite the art form, actually. <laughs> you look at all the, the things when you start thinking about it. The guys did to get the edge. It was it was unbelievable. 
Oh yeah, well you know, well Kevin Kaminsky's talking about filing the screws on his helmet, and you know, and and on the visor when in the WHL he'd do it on his visor, and I mean, you know, oh yeah, were you? Uh, did you do any jersey alterations, or are you just kind of uh, just whatever they give you? Let's go. You know what? Uh, towards the end, I, I I'd wear like more of a goalie cut. Yeah. Um, so that way you'd have you know more room in your arms. If they didn't grab a hold of your sleeve, you still had you know some room to get get your arm free. Um, you know, a guy was always spraying his hands down with tough skin and whatever you could, uh, just to kind of give yourself a bit of advantage and stuff. But yeah, that's about the extent of it. Some guys took it to a whole new level. Uh, you know, the tie down rule really kind of leveled the playing field uh, a little bit, which was a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, well, and a guy that you fought a whole bunch of times, and actually, of course, it was after the tie-down rule had come in, but, I mean, he, of course, he was the one that probably ushered it in really quicker was Rob Ray, I mean, because he'd come off and be, like, naked underneath. Um, uh, your battles with Razor, how did those go? How, how was fighting Ray? You know, I, most of our fights were pretty good. Um, you know, I, one night in Buffalo, um, I think it was a big fight for him. It was uh, it was the one that put him over 3,000 pounds in I was playing with Boston. Yep. Uh, and we got at it, and, you know, I always had my hands full with Razor, and like I said, he, he was a good puncher, and he could punch hard, and he caught me about three, and I couldn't get my bearings going. I think he cut me for, like, uh, 30 stitches that night, right across my forehead and under my eye. Um, so, like I said, most times I did all right against Razor. Uh, that, that one time I can definitely say I did not uh, did not do very well uh, at all. So, and he had done it. You know, he's another guy that, uh, you know, you look at the amount of punishments, the amount of fights he had, and, and he's not the biggest guy either. And, uh, you know, he battled, and he didn't back down from anyone. Yeah, well, and then like you mentioned, with you know, you go to the odd, and those Buffalo teams, and like you said, they got him and May, and then you throw in Barnaby. How annoying was Matt Barnaby to play against? Oh, he drove you crazy. You know what I mean? He just, he absolutely drove you crazy. And, you know, I, I was kind of a guy, I hated the yapping. I just, you know what, with his keeper mouth shut and play, uh, and that was not Barnaby at all. He was always talking. He was always acting. And he'd get you so riled up. Uh, you know, by the time you actually fought Barney, by the time you got there, you wanted to kill him. Like, you were very few times where you really wanted to hurt somebody. But when you fought against Barnaby, you were trying to hurt him because he had you to that point. <laughs> Who are some other, like, kind of yappers that people might not know about? Well, not even guys that, you know, fought them, but, uh, you know, Tyson Nash for St. Louis. You know what I mean? He, he never quit. He, he never quit talking. Uh, you know, Ty was another guy. Yeah, I think it's probably most people know that, but he never shut up on the ice either. So, you know, those are a few of the guys that just kept going. And those guys were quick, too. You know, I was never one of those guys. I didn't, I wasn't that quick with the comebacks. I thought just better be quiet, shut up, and do your job. Well, the uh, well, the following year, ninety four, ninety five, um, you know, of course, the strike, you know, the forty, the forty eight game schedule and everything. But uh, a, a big thing happened with that with uh, in that year, uh, you were named team captain. How big of a uh, an honor was that? It was, you know, I mean, it it really was, and I guess probably the thing that makes it even maybe uh, a little more special is that uh, you know the players voted on it. Uh, it wasn't something that uh, the management gave you. It was uh, voted on by the players. So for me, that was probably uh, the most important thing or the biggest thing that I made me feel the best was it was something that was voted on by by your teammates. And, uh, you know, to wear a C at the National Hockey League level is uh, something pretty proud of and, uh, you know, I'll never forget. 
No, absolutely. And of course, you guys have the, uh, you know, the big, uh, the seven games with uh, Calgary in the first round and you guys win in overtime and, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, unfortunately you ran into a really good wings team, but uh, how big of a thrill was that overtime win? That was quite the game. Uh, Wade Flaherty was a net for us. I think um, we got outshot like 70 to 27 or something like that. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, we just kept hanging on, kept hanging on. And then uh, over time there, Ray Whitney uh, puts one in. And same thing, that whole rink just went silent. You know, I remember half the Calgary Flames team, they were so upset they lost to us. Half of them didn't even shake our hands. They just went right off the ice uh, into the dressing room. So it was, you know, probably involved in, in two of the bigger upsets, the year before against Detroit, and then to do that against Calgary was uh, almost as big as an upset itself. Oh, absolutely. And, um you know, and actually, and then, you know, another young kid from Saskatchewan, you know, your guys' first-round pick was on the team that year. Um, and I got to know him a little bit here in Saskatoon uh, with Jeff Friesen. No, Meadow Lake. And, and it was, you know, I got to know Jeff pretty well. Uh, sat beside him in the, in the dressing room. He come in, played really well for us. You know, he had great skill for an 18-year-old coming in and got the opportunity to play uh, on our team and went on to have a great career. So, uh you know, Jeff was was a great kid that I got a chance to know when he first started. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's a guy I haven't uh, ran into forever, but uh, there's a lot of guys you'd love to catch up with again, and Jeff was definitely one of those guys. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, um, now the following year had to be pretty, uh, obviously was disappointing in terms of, like, you know, um, you know team-wise. I mean, you guys, you know, you know finished last. And, I mean, I think uh, – I mean, how many coaches did you have? I think you had three coaches that year. and um, You know, how tough of a season was that? Well, you know, you build off that success. And you kind of, I know it was only two years, but you kind of get used to it. And, and the team's going in one direction. And then, you know, it, it kind of falls apart on us. Like you say, you have some coaching changes. They change a bunch of personnel around. And, you know, for me, I, I kind of see the writing on the wall. They were thinking about going a different direction with things. So, you know, after we played that last game that season, missing the playoffs, I wasn't quite sure if a guy would be coming back or not. And, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't. Yeah, well, but, uh, yeah, and before we kind of leave there, uh, a couple of the teammates I wanted to ask you about, uh, of course, that was Owen Nolan's first season in San Jose. And, uh, you know, I know we had talked about kind of a power forward, you know, the talk at the Neely types, but uh, I think you could probably throw Nolan into that category. For sure. You know, you know Buster had crazy skill and, and strong and mean and he could fight too like he's another guy uh, that could do it all scored 50 goals and could probably as tough as most most guys tough guys so he was uh, a guy that uh, you know a little hot-headed uh, a little wild hard to contain at times but you talked about uh, pure skill and, and emotion he, he was he was it yeah, and another guy, of course, legendary enforcer. I mean, he was on his last legs. It was his last run there in last season. But uh, you have to play with Dave Brown. Uh, what was that like to play with Brownie for a year? No, that was that was cool. And the thing about Brownie is he's such a good man. Like, he was such a good teammate. And, uh, you know, another good Saskatchewan guy. So I enjoyed playing with Brownie as much for just, you know, the friendship and uh, getting to know him and how he was. he helped the younger guys be a pro. Uh, you know, and just having him on the bench just eliminated a lot of things. Uh, you know, we had Jim Kite in that team also. Yeah. Yep. Guys that were, you know, with them at heavyweights. The only problem with that 
is, you know, teams come in, they're looking, uh, maybe somebody's looking for a fight, and you look at the lineup, you got Dave Brown, Jim Kite, or me, you know, who are you going to pick? So <laughs> I thought it would help, but actually I found I had more guys coming to fight me so they wouldn't have to fight those two guys. <laughs> well, one of the guys you actually ended up running into a whole bunch, four times that year, was Bomber. Was Ken Baumgartner, was it kind of a personal thing, or is it just sort of happened to work out that way? You know what, it just kind of kind of worked out that way. We kind of had that, uh, you know, competitive games and rivalries, and uh, neither one of us would, would back down or, or give an inch. Uh, kind of about the same size, so uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. no, we we had some good tilts. He he threw the left side, threw the right, so there wasn't a whole lot of defense involved. You say watching Bomber fight all these times, he he looked like he had a really unorthodox kind of style. Was he really like? Was he pretty tough to fight? Well, he was. You know what I mean? He was because you know he was unorthodox and and he threw a hard punch. So you knew you couldn't get a little careless and give him too much because if, if he hit you, you were going to be hurt. You know, uh, you know some of the guys, they, they throw quick and maybe not that hard, but Bomber, uh, if he hit you, you knew it was going to hurt. So you had to be very cautious fighting him, uh, but yet you couldn't go into total defense because then, you know, you couldn't get much going yourself. So, no, he, he was a challenging guy to fight, to say the least. Well, over the summer, like you said, you can kind of – kind of feel that something was going to happen and of course it did and you got traded uh to boston um you know of course legendary team with the boston bruins how big of a thrill was it to go to boston well i was excited like the bruins were, were one of my teams growing up as a kid uh you know it was the first time i'd ever gotten traded and i thought well you know what i'm going to an original six team and you know i'm gonna get the chance to play with uh with the guys like ray bork um, and just, you know, I was so excited going there. You know, the Boston Bruins, the tradition they had on winning, you know, they hadn't missed the playoffs in, I think it was 27 or 29 straight years. Um, you know, I got to play in the old Boston Garden. Obviously, we just moved into the new arena, but just the history. And, you know, being in those games, uh, you know, the Bruins versus the Canadians, the Bruins versus the Rangers, just that original six history and how many times they've been there before was uh, something special for me to be a part of. No, absolutely, and uh, and of course, you know, you got to, uh, like you said, you threw out a few names, you know, Adam Oates, Ray Bork, uh, and of course, this is the the year uh, Rick Tockett, of course, was playing with the Bruins as well, um, and, and growing up, Rick Tockett was like one of my absolute favorite players. Um, what, what What's Tockett like? He's a great teammate, and, and you know, he, he competes, you know what I mean, and I can, I can totally see why he's had so much success as a coach, because if he has the same passion as a coach and a player, uh, you know, he's going to win a championship as a head coach. Uh, you know, he's a guy that relates well to other players. Like he's one of those high skill guys that still understood, uh, kind of the grinders game. You know, he understood that mentality and what it takes to get there. Um, you know, and just to have that compete level, a lot of guys with that kind of skill, it, he could just be a goal scorer. If he wanted, he wouldn't have to bother. And with the rest of it, but he just had that in him and that desire to win. Uh, I enjoyed playing with Rick Talk. I think all those guys that I got to play with, uh, you know, that you like to talk, if they just taught you so much about how to, you know, conduct yourself and how to play the game the right way. No, absolutely. And, uh, of course, uh, a couple of the names I'll throw at you that, uh, one of the names that, uh, kind of showed up in your fight card a bunch of times this year was, uh, Paul Laws. Who a lot of a lot of fight fans is sort of he's uh, kind of gets forgotten about or he's underrated. But how tough was Paul Laws? He, he was. We we had some 
some battles. They're about the same size. Uh, competed, but no, I think, I think I fought them, I, I think five times we fought. And every one of them was just a flat out, uh, battle. He, he wouldn't give an inch. And then being in Boston, we played against Florida, lost in that same division. Um, so no, there was, uh, some battles there. And, uh, well, he's right. He's one of those guys that a lot of people forget about. Uh, but he was as tough as they came. And, you know, he fought all the guys too. He, he never, uh, and he was always game. No, absolutely. And, uh, Actually, another guy that comes up on your fight card a bunch of times throughout the years, and, uh, and again, you know, hey, a Humboldt guy, another Saskatchewan guy, uh, was Brendan Witt. You guys had a few run-ins. Yes, we did. And, you know, fighting Witter was, was, wasn't fun because he had such long arms, and, uh, you know, he swung from the fences, and he'd never give you an inch. He, he made it tough on you every night. He, he kind of backed you into the corner where you knew you were coming back, and either one else would back down, so, yeah. Couple of Saskatchewan guys that uh, weren't smart enough to maybe back off a bit. <laughs> well, then another guy before we leave here, um, I know you you fought him earlier, and I was going to ask you about it, but uh, I talked to a few people, and they say this guy hit unbelievably hard. Was Paul Cruz? Yes, no Cruiser, and he and he threw quick. You know, a lot of guys that throw as fast as Cruiser did, they didn't have a whole lot in his punches. But he followed through. He was one of those guys, you know, all the saying is, you know, you punch for the back of the head when you punch. That was Cruiser. So when he hit you, you knew you were hurt. That guy fought him, um, you know, when he was in Salt Lake and I was in Kansas City with a couple of unbelievable fights and then fought him with the Flames. Uh, no, he was one of the probably best middleweights because, and Cruiser could play the game too. He was an effective player, get on the four check and skate. And, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of fear there either. No, absolutely not. Well, the following year, um, you know, you only played the one year in with, uh, well, you start the season, the preseason in Boston, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in Providence in the American Hockey League. Did you kind of like, were like, what the hell's going on here? Like, uh, what happened there? You know what? I, I kind of prided myself in always being awesome myself and looking at things, but uh, I never seen that one coming at all. Uh, Pat Burns came in to take over. Uh, he brought in Kenny Baumgartner, one of his guys. And I thought, okay, this is perfect. Kenny and I can work together. Uh, day before the season starts, uh, they call me in the office and say, you know what, we're sending you the minors, and that's what we have planned for you. It, it was absolutely devastating. Here I went, uh, you know, I played 400 games in the National Hockey League. I wore a letter for the Bruins coming off being captain in San Jose, and now I'm going to the minors. Went through the waiver draft, and nobody picked me up. So it was, uh, it was an eye-opener. It was like, uh, you know, this could be the end. And I remember saying, if I ever get back, never again, you know, will I ever take a, a day in the NHL for granted. And uh, thankfully, you know, the Colorado Avalanche, uh, we're looking for a guy and got a huge break there. No, absolutely. So you show up in Colorado, you Mark, Mark Crawford's the coach, and, uh, you know, and I mean, what, you know, Sackick and Forsberg and Lemieux and Waugh and Dead Marsh. And I mean, what was it like walking into that dressing room? It, it was a little intimidating, even for a guy that played in the league for a while. Uh, and they just come off, you know, winning a Stanley Cup, and they were, uh, you know, a team that was used to winning. And you know what? I am, I am so glad I got an opportunity to play for that team. I probably learned more there about uh, all the teams I'd been on through junior in the National Hockey League. You know, we struggled lots, and they would just pound every loss India. Uh, I went to Colorado; it was a totally different attitude. You know, they expected to win every game, but when the game was over, it was over, and uh, you move on. And I actually uh, learned more playing there just from that attitude 
and seeing how those guys that are used to winning and have won handled it. I think everybody imagines what it's like to win, but when you play with guys that actually have won and know what it takes, um, I learned a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, like you said, you guys had the you guys had the big year, and then unfortunately, you had the the first round loss to the Oilers. Um, how how? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's upsetting, but uh, I mean, you, that had to kind of come out of left field. Well, it, it did. Like every year, you look at that. Uh, your your goal was to win the Stanley Cup because you had that talent in team. So you go in the first round, we get the lead against Edmonton in the series, and, and they just get momentum and we can't stop it. You know, so now all of a sudden you're in Game Seven, and like you said, just like back in Saturday against Detroit, ending it happened in Game Seven. You know, we end up losing in Game Seven with that team, and you know you build all years to put the team together we had. And to lose the first round, so I, I knew exactly what it was like. And the other side of it, like Detroit with San Jose. No, absolutely, and of course, changes are coming. And uh, you know, with that, you know, the upset, and uh, there's a coaching change. And uh, that following year, Bob Hartley comes. Now, I've talked to guys, and I got their opinion on Hartley, which wasn't good. <laughs> what, what was your, uh, what, what's your feeling about Bob Hartley, and how did you get along with him? You know what? Uh, I got along good with Bob. Uh, you know, I was a veteran guy. Um, you know, and, and Bob could hard on the young guys. He, could, he was very demanding. He, he put you to the test. And, uh, you know what? He expected to do your job. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, our guy that, that don't like Bob and me, you know, Bob was a guy that, uh, probably lost him because I was a veteran guy and, and job. Uh, he was a good, he gave me an opportunity, uh, you know, got me playing, uh, ended up signing, you know, another year after they were there for the first year. So, uh, but Bob, no, he, he was a hard guy to play for and very demanding. Well, and of course, uh, you know, both those seasons there, the 98-99 and then 99-2000, of course, you know, you, you inevitably end up in the third round against Dallas and, um, you know, and unfortunately come out in the losing end of those. Um, those Dallas teams with Madano and Hall and those guys, how tough were those series? That was unbelievable hockey. You know, you look at the team that he had, and then you had Patrick Waugh going ahead with uh, Eddie Belfort. And it was just, it was some of the best hockey. You know, everybody talks about you know, hockey back, you know, and then like, he's the obstruction and stuff. But I, I'll find anybody. I, you know, you watch those games and you tell me that those weren't great hockey games to watch uh, with the compete level through the roof and the, the talented players they had. And, you know, it came down to game seven, two years in a row. And, man, one game away from going to the Stanley Cup Finals two years in a row at the hands of the Dallas Stars. And they were just they were just great series. You know, I don't think uh, either team would have lost that. There wasn't a guy in our locker room that uh, looked there and said, you know, they could have gave any more. They gave it all. It came down to one game uh, series. And, unfortunately, two years in a row, we didn't make it. And, uh, you know, you don't realize how close you are. And you never get a chance to go back. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and of course, as that's going on, I mean, you know, you can kind of see, um, you know, Colorado's got Dingman and Scott Parker and Wade Belak. And I mean, you know, and it's kind of, it, you know, it's becoming, kind of, could you kind of see the writing on the wall in Colorado? Yeah, I could. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're not dumb. You see what's going on. You got some younger guys there, but a bit more size coming to do your role. Um, but the nice thing, is getting to play in a team like Colorado is a lot of teams want a piece of that. So 
if you're a part of that team, a winning organization that ran things like they did, like Pierre Roquois, the way he ran that team was unbelievable. You know, playing for a coach like Hartley. You know, I talked about Kevin Constantine being prepared. Uh, Bob Hartley ran an unbelievable bench. Like, he never he never got outchanged or he never got uh, outcoached. So, you know, just being a part of that, there's lots of teams that, that want a part of that. So it uh, worked out good for me to keep playing after. No, absolutely. And, like, a couple of the names there. Um, do you have any memories of the late Wade Belak? Another Saskatchewan boy? He, he, he was just, you know, a, a great guy. Uh, like, he, he loved life. He was always in a great mood. He showed up at the rent, and I could always see Keith because he's always smiling. And just a good Saskatchewan guy. He had a lot of Saskatchewan. So he was a guy I enjoyed playing with, enjoyed him as a teammate. Um, and just, you know, an all around good Saskatchewan kid. No, absolutely. And of course, another guy uh, who was, uh, you know, went on to have a. You know, a pr- pretty good career, and and like you said, they were younger and and getting bigger. Um, was of course Scott Parker. Um, how? That's a mean dude right there. <laughs> he was, and he might have had the hardest handshake in the history of the world. Like, he would, you shake his hand, and he would absolutely buckle guys. His bones almost cracked. He had this death grip, and you know, he was another guy like, when he punched. If he connected, for getting hurt. You know, he, he turned it that hard. And there was that whole super heavyweight division coming in that were the size of Scott Parker and, and even bigger. And the thing about these guys were guys that couldn't play or couldn't move. So they were big men and good athletes. And, uh, yeah, like that super heavyweight division was uh, pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, like you said, you're throwing it out. Um what you actually? I, I think you only actually fought fought him once. Was uh, well, the two guys I was going to bring up were Donald Brashear and George Larocque. What was it, what was it like fighting those two yeah, guys? You know, those guys uh, were so strong. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Brashear, he he was so strong he could dictate a fight. You know, if he was fighting a guy like me, he'd be swinging for the fences. And yet, if he was fighting a lot of the bigger guys, he had that ability to, uh, you know, tie him up and hold him in. And, uh, LaRock, he was just, he was a monster. You know, uh, I think at the end there, I'm not sure what weight he was playing with Montreal, but he was just a huge man. And, and you know, he could play too. I remember him with the Oilers, uh, when, when they were on their runs, he was an effective player. Like, like George could play. He was good in the corner, good protecting the puck. But, you know, you grabbed one of those guys, and it was like uh, almost like when you're a kid and your grabbed the, dad grabbed a hold of you, and you just didn't move anywhere. Yeah. I know um, Brashear takes a lot of shit from people, and I know there's been podcasts with other players, and they kind of, they they flat out say they have no respect for him. Um, you know, like I said, this isn't me saying it. This is a fellow, like, other guys saying it. Um, you know, did he kind of fight on his terms and, you know, et cetera. Did you have any issues with Brush here? Yeah, not personally, no. You know, and uh, you know what? I fought, him, I don't know, I fought, fought him a couple times, and, and he was definitely a guy that fought on his terms. But that's that's his decision, and uh, it doesn't matter either way. You know, he's another guy that could pull. He had a long career, effective player on a lot of teams. So, you know, everybody thrown. No, absolutely, and. Uh, well, the following, so you end up, uh, 
you're back back to these uh, these expansion teams, these new teams. Uh, you show up in uh, Atlanta with the with the with the Thrashers. Um, what did you think of your time in Atlanta? And uh, and uh, it was sort of a, a new start for you. Yeah, like you know, I got picked up in Minnesota in the waiver draft. Thought I was going to spend time there. And then I had picked up by Atlanta in the waiver draft in the same year. So I had houses and places all over the place. But, uh, you know, George Kingston was an assistant coach in Atlanta. He was my son of age. So it brought me in for, you know, at this point, somebody who's been through the expansion, a little bit of leadership. And, you know, I always say about Atlanta, great guys, terrible teams. You know, we did have a great group of guys. We had some, we had, like Ray Ferrero and Sean Donovan and Chris Tamer and just uh, Danny Lambert, I I just uh, I start chuckling every time I think about uh, the teams we had there and just how good of people they were. Unfortunately, uh, we it just never transcended on the ice, and it's too bad because they had a good fan fan support there. Uh, after I was done, he went back into the radio for a couple of years and made the playoff run, and there were some people there that were very passionate about the team, about the hockey. They just needed that one breakthrough year, uh, you know, so they could get that momentum going. You know, Tampa Bay, Carolina were in much the same situations, and they had those those big runs where they went through and they ended up winning championships to really get that jump start going they needed. And unfortunately for Atlanta, it just never happened. Yeah, well, and then the coach actually, when you first got there, was uh, Kurt Fraser. What was it like playing for him? I love playing for Fraz. You know, he, he was a, a passionate guy, had his heart on the sleeve, and he was a, a player's coach. You know, he, he was one of those guys, if you, you went out there and you, you made a mistake where, you know, a guy plays in the third, fourth line, a lot of guys would just sit you on the bench where you come back to the bench and bench and Fraz is like, go get it back for us. You know, he'd give you a chance. He understood what it was like, you know, to play that role. He respected the role. So, uh, playing for Kurt Fraser, uh, I really enjoyed it. Well, and, and of course, uh, one of the kids on Atlanta, like he always had another Saskatchewan kid, and I mean, another. I mean, he's basically, uh, you know, Jeff Rogers two point Really, uh, was Darcy Hordachuk. Was it? Uh, did you take it upon yourself to kind of mentor Darcy? Well, kind of, yeah. Like he just he grew up in Campsack, just down the road from Spy Hill. Uh, you know, played the same role, and uh, you know, we played in the same line. We roomed together on the road. Uh, so yeah, kind of took pride in, in looking after him and kind of helping him along. Um, but Hordy, being a typical uh, tough guy, he is first game we play against each other. He wants to scrap, and he ends up cutting me for eight stitches. So uh, <laughs> I always give him shit about that. But he was, you know what, Hordy was. Uh, he played hard, and he could skate. Yeah. You know, when I went in the corner with the puck, I was more worried about Hordy coming in and hitting me than the other guys in the other team because that puck was anywhere. He didn't care who was around. It, like, bodies were flying, whether you were there or not. But, uh, you know, he had a huge passion for the game. He played the game hard. And, uh, man, he caught some guys by surprise, not only fighting, but open ice hits. He could hit. No, absolutely. And uh, in your uh, – yeah, and it was funny because, of course, being at SAS too, you know, watching him here with the blades, and he kind of came out of nowhere as an unknown. And it was uh, – no, I was, uh, I was always a big, big Hortichuk fan, like – Watching him with the blades, it was like, oh yeah, he played like he was like a Super Bowl, just running around hitting everybody and fighting everybody. And oh yeah, I was always a huge Darcy fan for sure. Yeah, no, he, and he could skate. You know, that's the thing. Uh, Hordy could he could get in on the four checking. He could be effective that way. 
and then you uh, throw that in with uh, his ability to hit, uh, it made him pretty effective. No, absolutely. And uh, well, and then one of the big one of the names, the young kids coming in, and uh, was uh, Danny Heatley and uh, and Kovalchuk. What was it like to be there to see the beginnings of their career? You know, that was a pretty awesome guy to, to play with him and watch them start. Uh, you know, obviously coming in Atlanta, we weren't that good, so they're given lots of ice time. And I just remember them setting each up on the power play, and it'd be cross ice soft passes for one timers all over the place, and just you know the skill. And both those kids, they love to play the game. You know what I mean? They'd be out after practice, staying late, shooting pucks, doing whatever it takes. Um, I actually got uh, room with Kobe. Uh, for a while in Atlanta and, uh, you know, got to know him a bit, a little bit more on than off the ice. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I look at Kobe and, you know, he came back this year and had that run with Montreal. And I always liked Kobe and, and you know, the odd time he gets a rap of, uh, not being as competitive. But to me, I, I never seen that. You know, I look at it, I compare him to a Vetchkin early in his career. Like Kobe loved to play and he, and he wanted to win and, you know, I think for Ilya Kovalchuk, uh, you know, I, I love that that he got a chance to rebound with Montreal. And I was just kind of hoping the season went in just to see what he could do. No, absolutely. And, uh, well, another character you played with, uh, you know, and, and there's some, a few stories of him, you know, the crazy French guy, but but big, mean left-hander boy, uh, and a lot of tape around the ankles was uh, Frankie Lassard. You got any stories of Frankie? Oh, my goodness. He... he he loved to fight. He, yeah. You know what I mean? And you talk about, I have never seen a guy put that much tape around his ankles before a game in my entire life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I got to play with Frankie. Thankfully, we never played against him. Uh, he's one of those guys that you just don't want to fight unless you have to because it's just going to end up bad. It's either something's going to give. It's either your hand or your face is going to be hurting. But, uh, and, you know, he loved the fight. We are playing on the same line. I uh, got in a scrap. Uh, against the Islanders, and all of a sudden he's right beside me cheering on, and he's, uh, he's actually scaring me. He's yelling so loud during the fight, and he just had a <laughs> some unbelievably epic fights. You know, at that time we were starting to, you know, watch a few more fights on the internet and stuff, and some of his fights he had in the minors are unbelievable. Oh yeah, no, he was, yeah, he was insane, man. You know, and then oh, and then later on he was playing in the Quebec League and that LNAH and. Just guy was a snap show, but but a great guy, you know, a great teammate. I, I loved playing with Frankie. You know, he he was uh, he was awesome. So uh, you know, he's one of those guys. I'm glad I got to play with and against. And you know, I think guys today have no idea how lucky they are not to have to play against uh, you know guys like Frankie and just how tough they were. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, I won't. Uh, I know I've kept you here for a long time, and I mean. I mean, I could throw names at you all night for guys that you fought, but a couple of the names I do have to ask you about because you got into some epic tilts with this guy, um, Ryan Vandenbush. Oh, Bushy. Yeah, no, and, and there's another guy. He wasn't that big, but there was not one inch of give up or fear in that guy. And you're right, we, we, we got into it, and we both got thrown, and neither one would uh, back down. And, uh, yeah, you look back at some of those fights and – it hurts just watching him again, but uh, it doesn't compete me. Or, you know, the way he competed, and, uh, yeah, neither one of us had a whole lot of defense, so it was entertainment anyways. 
Well, yeah, as a fight fan, it was like, yeah, you guys are always, uh, I always call you guys video fighters because it was never boring and it was, uh, you know, um, actually one of the names that, of course, Legendary Enforcer, and of course went on to have a, well, he won a Stanley Cup as a coach and I know you rumbled them a few times, um, was Craig Berube. Uh, what was it like fighting Chief? He, he was like, uh, I know the guys say that Chief was, was tough and he, he played hard. He never gave an inch. He was another guy that, uh, he could knock you out in a hurry. You know, one night in San Jose, I remember uh, when he was in Calgary, he fought against David Maley and uh, Doug Molak and caught both those guys coming in. And you had to be on your toes when you fought Chief because, yeah, you made one mistake and you were going to get hurt. And, you know, the respect I have for him, you look at him, he played a 1,000 games. Yeah. And if you look at the number of fight, I think, did he not have close to 400 fighting majors? Um you know, for his time, like, I think I remember reading that, like the amount of fights that he actually has, you know, to play that many games and fight that many times and, and stay healthy, be able to play a thousand games, uh, you know, cause you know, he was hurting, you know, guys like, like him and you play against guys like, you know, Kelly Buckberger, who just battled yep. and most guys would have played about 200 less games, just how hurt they were, but they never had any quit in them. And, you know, so for what he's done with that team, you know, it just, Unbelievable. You take a team that was last place league in the league January 7th and they walk into a room and have a group of guys buy in to you like that. And, you know, don't kid yourself. He was the biggest reason why that was that turnaround. He gave that group confidence, turned that room around, and there's very few people in the world that can do that with a group of guys in a team. And uh, so I, I couldn't have been happier for anybody than, uh, than Chief because, you know, you look at how hard he played. Uh, it was awesome. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, just kind of going, like, I was going to ask you, when you, when you're fighting, did you kind of prefer kind of fighting taller guys or guys your size or what did you prefer? Like, I mean, I'm looking, I mean, you fought like Warrell and Karens and all these guys. I mean, not, you're punching uphill here. I mean, uh, what did you prefer? You know, probably guys that, Maybe my height or just a little bit bigger. You know, once you get six seven, that's huge. Yeah. But you know, the guys that were you know six two to six feet, that was probably where you felt the most comfortable. Uh, the really smaller guys give you all kinds of, of fits. So for me, you know, guys my size, maybe a couple inches bigger, were the guys that seemed to match up the best. Um, yeah. Well, so your final se- in o two o three, your final year. Um, at that point, um, did you? Did you kind of know at that point, or uh, was it just enough was enough? Like the body is just, uh, you know, the spirit was willing, but the body wasn't able, or uh, was it was it time? I just kind of knew it was time. Just uh, kind of body-wise, and, you know, like you said, you had that whole super heavyweight division coming that was uh, uh, getting bigger and bigger, and at that point I had some injuries, and it was it was taking so much just to get your body ready to play a game. Uh, you know, it was uh, almost an all-day affair just trying to get loose enough to play a game. And you know what? Uh, looking back at it, I'm glad I made the decision I did. I was able to walk away and, you know, kept my health pretty good. I can do whatever I want today. So, you know, I'm glad I, I hung him up when I did, and I can still, you know, enjoy everything I want to do today. Yeah, well, 800 games, I mean, you had a hell of a run. And uh, I know you went back and you were farming for a little bit. And then you actually, you, you mentioned it earlier, but uh, you went back and did some uh, some color commentating for the Thrashers. How did you enjoy that? It was good. You know what I mean? It was, 
you had the same routine as a player. You got to travel around with the team, same routine, got to catch up with a lot of the guys that, uh, you, you know, you knew and made acquaintances with, and you didn't have that game day pressure. You know, you could actually enjoy it. And uh, visit with some people, and we had a great crew. Uh, Dan Kamal was uh, the play-by-play guy. And then the TV crew there also, Darren Elliott was another guy that did color on TV, and uh, J.P. Della Camera. And, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank right now on his name in Phoenix. Ah, I can't, but just a good group of guys, and it was kind of fun being just had your own group for the team. So it was a fun thing to do, and uh, at that time, my boys weren't with me. So at the end of two years, me and the boys moved back to Saskatchewan, the farm, and uh, definitely made the right decision. I'm enjoying being back home and uh, being back here in the farm. Um, Yeah. Matt O'Connell is the name I'm thinking of, yeah. Okay. Well, I, hey, well, as I was going to say, while well, you're doing the announcing, what, what league, what, uh, what, what, uh, what building had the best catering? Oh, the food? Pro- Montreal, probably. Yeah. Always good food in Montreal. Well, I, he- I heard the nightlife in Montreal is pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah. If you went out, it wasn't bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, like you said, you head back farming and, um, you know, of course, you're, uh, what did Dakota say? Fifth generation? farmer uh out there yes he is yeah well uh what what uh what do you guys farm and uh and how's it looking this year no it looks pretty good we got a cow calf operation so we're calving out about 100 cows uh we're growing about you know 700 acres of crops that we'll harvest uh putting up a bunch of hay so it's uh a lot of work and uh, dakota he's coming home and uh helping me out in the summer there and then his brother john is actually the uh strength coach uh, for the Iowa Wild, Minnesota Wilds farm team. So, you know, he's involved in the game. Uh, Dakota's still playing hockey out in Carleton University uh, during the winter, so it's kind of nice. Uh, when I make my trips to see the boys, hockey's still a big part of it. Well, and like I said, we were talking to Dakota there, and, he, and uh, him and the brother there were playing for uh, Yorkton in the SJ and the, the trophy, the, and they won it, and you were there. And with the, How big of a thrill was that for you? No, it was, it was pretty special because – you know what it's like as a player, uh, you know, to win and win a championship and to have your boys be able to go through it and experience it and then to be there and witness it, you know, with, with my dad, their grandpa and grandma. So it was, no, it was good. Well, that was excellent. And, uh, well, well, Jeff, I've kept you here for a while and I can't, uh, thank you enough for coming on the show. It was a big thrill for me as I was, I was always a big fan of yours. So to, to sit down and be able to pick your brain here, I could do this for, five hours uh if you'd let me but uh i won't keep you but uh again thank you very much for taking the time to uh to sit down and talk with me today not a problem thanks for reaching out really appreciate it have a good night and uh thank you very much all right enjoy the podcast keep it up thanks jeff i appreciate it have a good night And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?